You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Today's program, I am quite thrilled to introduce um, a gentleman who has contributed to LCC's profile in the fine arts arena. Uh, he's done a few works for us, and he is an artist's artist. Um, Joshua Reisner, welcome to Art Happens Here. Thank you. It's yeah. nice to be here. Yeah. Well, um, I, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time, and we hadn't met up until today personally, but I do remember um, one of the paintings that you did for us uh, a few years back, there was a, an unveiling, and it was it was really really cool. And that painting resides now in our um, Agannon building, and we, we'll touch on uh, touch on that a little bit later. Tell us a little bit about your history. Where are you from originally, Josh? I'm from a small town in Ohio named Greenwich. Um, people used to say there's no stoplights and no restaurants or anything significant there. There's about 1,400 people. Not a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of art there to, to, to speak of, but uh, that's, where, that's where I'm from. That's where I started. I, I was there until about, I was the age of 22, maybe 23. So you were like really that. there during the formative years. Yeah. I actually, um, yeah, I, I ended up landing in a company there. There was an advertising company, a billboard company that mm -hmm. was uh, based in that town. So mm -hmm. that's how I ended up staying there even longer because I accidentally kind of fell into that. Cool. Now, with the artwork in the small town environment, did that environment and its uh, presumed lack of um, metropolitan activities, did that kind of push you into, into art, I mean, into doing art? What influenced you was early on? Comic books, movies, music, all of the above? You know, I... I wish I was one of the artists that was like that, you know, that was in the comic books and was always drawing and, and, uh, people are always shocked to hear this, but I was hyper competitive and I was really into basketball really? and, uh, and you know why that matters because I wasn't a kid who like spent a lot of time in his room drawing, but I, I, you know, as I got older, I realized that like, I've always been a maker. Like I've always been somebody who like is daydreaming about grand ideas of what to build. When I was younger, I always wanted to build a house of some sort that was magical. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was always painting things or drawing things, but I don't think the town made me want culture. When you grow up in a town like that, I don't think you even know you don't have culture That's or you don't have like a broad view. But I think there was like, I think you'll pick up in this conversation. I tend to have this sort of, um, draw towards the mystery. Mm -hmm. Like there's something that's always drawing me. Like I've always had this sort of vision of, of some kind of epic journey. Really? And, uh, I didn't know what that was. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm even on it anymore mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. what kind of journey it is. But when I was a kid, I just think I always had, you know, a bigger vision. I wanted more, but yeah. I don't know what that was. Oh, that's uh, that okay. Very intriguing. And, uh, you know, it raises a question that I've had in my mind, you know, Given the context of today's uh, media consumption, uh, and I, I, I point to Instagram and some of the things that you know um, that I follow on Instagram, the talent out there is mind-bending. It's mind-blowing the, the the level and the amount of creative thought. It 
you know, I don't know how I would have done young, uh, being confronted with that. If it would have, you know, if it would have, um, spurred me on or if it would have discouraged me, I don't know, because it's so, and it's, I guess it's always been the case, you know, you could go to the library when you were a kid and be overwhelmed that way, I suppose. Um, well, just for some context, let's just skip a, skip ahead really quick to what you do now to give our audience an idea of the scope of your uh, your responsibility today. Um, I I guess I tell people now that I'm a portrait artist, mm-hmm. but I still do a lot of different things. Um, I mean, my main income now is commissioned work. Mm-hmm. Um, tends to be politicians, mm-hmm. um, but I still do like my own work. I, I mean, I I compartmentalize all kinds of different things at this point. I'm also the artist in residence for the state capitol, mm-hmm. which means all kinds of things. Uh, not you know, I take care of the portrait collection there, mm-hmm. make a lot of decisions just aesthetically about mm-hmm. which direction we're going in the building, mm-hmm. and I also have like a background in um, building and in conservation and wow. trying to you know. Actually, one of my, I think, things I've learned over the years is how to deconstruct all processes. Mm -hmm. So I can basically look at anything and figure out how it was done in a particular time period. And so that helps with like a building or even, you know, recreating portraits from the 19th century or, you know, to my paintings now where the processes are directly uh, influenced by those, those processes and stuff that I've like discovered through like and you research just and picked up along the way doing your thing yeah i think some of that is just like a naturally um inquisitive about processes and mm-hmm. like and and uh, you know i used to uh so this hopefully leads into one of my first big jumps after being a sign painter for a few years was uh I taught myself how to use Photoshop and Illustrator. And this was when, you know, the average person couldn't afford to buy like the Adobe, mm-hmm. like you, you couldn't get a subscription and, and it was rare to find it. So you could get like bootleg copies, you know, oh, and I somebody, I borrowed one and I yeah. actually was disciplined enough to spend about a year like really learning it. What I realized is that I thought a lot like the way Photoshop worked, like my brain itself. Now, I still had to learn the the details of it, but I worked in layers like I could see layers like in a building. I could see layers in a painting. I could see I could see how those interactions and um, can't remember exactly how I got there. But uh, I think that. There's something natural about that, that that was there, although I've picked up things too, but there's something about the way my brain works that has helped me in all those areas, you know. Well, you um, mentioned discipline, and I always fold in uh, curiosity with that, uh, just inquisitiveness. Um, yeah, I, same thing with the Adobe Suite and myself, you know, years ago, and just thrashing around and making mistakes and learning and getting it hardwired that way than rather you know, the straight trench, you know, what's the thing with the learning they compare it to uh, a weaving, uh, you know, meandering stream versus a, a straight trench cut in the ground with, yeah. the, with the learning process. Um, and the disciplinary thing is, is key too. I'm sure to what, to what you do, you know, there's a quote somewhere I'm reminded of that the, uh, the human brain is both a reality perceiving and a fantasy generating machine. Mm, that's so true. I often think about the jumps like you, you know, you imagine yourself like your brand 
you know, before brand was a cool term, even, you know, like sure. when I was younger, like you imagine what you want to be, you know, you might say you're a mountain biker, but you may not be a mountain biker. Right. You just want to be. It takes some kind of weird jump of discipline to like become that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't make that jump. And I remember like with Photoshop or graphic des- being a graphic designer, I I just specifically remember the jump. And I remember the difference between the other things I identified with that I didn't actually become because I never actually disciplined enough to jump in and actually do it for a period of time uh-huh. without, you know, somebody else forcing me or having even having commissions or anything, you know, you just, you know, you just really focus in. And yeah. I think everything I've done has always kind of been that way where like there's a lot of things even now that I'd like to be, but for some reason I just don't do it. Like I don't jump the way that I did as like a graphic designer or sign painter, graphic designer, portrait painter, those things like. Does it, does it have to do with your perception of the passing of time? In what way? What do you mean by that? Well, when we're younger, um, you know, the world's a mystery. And as we age, they call it the death of distance. When the world all of a sudden you can see it. You know, and, and that, that oh, man, one, you're going to start making me cry. We're no, no, like an existential. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, like, no, man, <laughs> the, the photo that the photo that they took of the earth, you know, the first photo from outer space. And when we realized that's it, I mean, it's a yeah. dot. Yeah. You know, um, and, and given, you know, getting into broader philosophical issues, I'll try to avoid. But, you know, I have to touch on it. You know, when we're young, anything's possible. Oh, yeah. And now. You know, time, the clock is ticking and there's so much to do. There's so much to explore. Like, for instance, I'd like to get into stained glass. Will I ever do it? Probably not. I want to get into this and then get into that. And then you're, you're wrestling with the creative side of mastering these things. And, and it's just you only have one lifetime, you know, so you have to be uh, you have to be more selective with where you purpose yourself. Oh, man, you are speaking my language. I think yeah. when you turn a certain age, I was just talking to, I have an apprentice over at the Capitol who's uh, turning into a great painter. And it's sometimes hard to, he's a young guy, he's like 28. And I keep saying, like, there's something that shifts when you start recognizing time. You mm-hmm. sh- and I don't know, like, people talk about it, but it's hard to, you feel it and you you can't hardly explain it. But it changes, it does change the way you approach these things like art, like stained glass. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do stained glass yeah. myself and I, I've done a few pieces, but it's weird to come to a place where you realize you won't probably ever be as good at stained glass as you are as por- at portrait painting because I'll never have the time. I won't have the, you know, the 40 years or whatever to focus in on stained glass yeah. that I did for portrait painting. So yeah. It's hard to come to terms with that, especially if you're a person who wants to, uh, yeah, you have a lot of uh, big ideas. But there's 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 definite value in in dipping your foot in something and to say that, yeah, I did try it without getting pulled in and, and beating yourself up and expecting too much. Yeah, I think I think there's this weird thing that I've wrestled with for years trying to um, deal with the object, like trying to wrestle with the, the importance of, of valuing the object that you create mm-hmm. or value, valuing the process of creating that object. I feel like those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know how this relates, but I do, I do remember specifically thinking I'm going to have to focus on painting. If I want to be great at something, like I have to focus. And I, and I did, and it's kind of funny because like about three years ago I thought, did I do too much of that? Like, did I focus too much? Because now I'm like, 
I'm really good at that, I think. Mm, you you know, most people would say that. And it's hard to be, it's hard to do stained glass now because I'm starting at one uh, and yeah. I'm at eight or, you know, something in, in painting. And it's really, it's the, that's the difficulty when you're 23 and you're starting things where well, you're at, you're at a, a, a hobbyist level on everything. So mm -hmm. it's like, I can do all of this. But once you get good at something, I think it makes it harder to jump into other things because you're like, it's harder to accept and be humble about yeah. the beginning, you know? Yeah. And I just, to our listeners, uh, check him out, check out his work. You know, uh, Josh is an artist's artist. He, uh, he's what I feel he's mastered, mastered oil painting and he's done a number of works, uh, beautiful works. Um, and, and I have to point this out on your website, under your bio information, you list everything and there's a delineation, you know, like it or not, between fine art and commercial art, the two camps, they have their respective philosophies, and we could talk for days on this on this specific issue. That being said, uh, many fine art types will downplay or they will um, dismiss the value of commercial endeavor, commercial creative endeavor, right? Um, and I think that's unfortunate. And on your site, I noticed you, um, along with your education, you have a uh, master's of fine art from Kendall College, you know, a bachelor's from Ashland University. Um, you've been in brand development, print, copywriting, web design, photography, sign painting back when, you know, what haven't you done, Josh? And given that context, it, it provides this uh, snapshot of foundational learning in saying that you, you know, you taught yourself Photoshop. I would hazard a guess that you probably you, you teach yourself now you went to Kendall I get it but you probably walked into that classroom with a working knowledge of oil painting and they just sharpened you up a bit is that true well actually in today's world um academic art world I don't think they teach you to paint like I don't think I ta was taught anything about how to paint in yeah. all of my degrees I think that there's a more there's more of an emphasis on how to think about art really and I, and I actually don't think a lot of it is very positive for art because like we talked about before like being in the flow is one of the things that thinking about art mm -hmm. too much sort of is a obstacle to that being said like um i i believe i am a self-directed learner you know like i i teach myself most things although as i get older that's i think I've become less patient with that process. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, that, that being said, I respect one of my bachelor's painting professors. I always say, you know, he didn't teach me to paint because I had, I had went back later. I was 30 mm -hmm. when I went back to school to get a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. um, but he taught me to think, to be like critical of what I was doing. He didn't accept what I was doing like straight out. And it taught me to like really think about how to, um, really put meaning in my work put meaning in, or, or gonna, at least find meaning in my work <laughs> okay i'm going to translate that a little bit sorry if you did no just humor me and if i'm wrong call me on it um did he teach you to be self-critical no okay he directed me I okay think, a little bit in okay that. i know creatives that can never achieve what they think they want to achieve and it's 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 hard um, seeing that, seeing people that are miserable, uh, recognizing whatever limitations, self-imposed limitations they have. So I'm glad that's not the case with you um, because your work is very, you know, it's very expansive. 
Um, and I can see why it's so so widely and deeply appreciated. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It does. Uh, I don't want to go off on that too much, but no, I do fine. think it's harder. I have found that as uh, as I develop, I keep trying to talk about this with other artists or younger artists, but uh, I think sometimes it's hard to understand the role of self-criticism at a certain point. As you get better at something, your world gets bigger, I think. Mm -hmm. You learn more. Yeah. You learn more and more, and then that that criticism, in some ways, can be that self criticism. I feel like can be harmful. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and it's at different stages. It's at a real value, you know. But then it, at a certain stage, and I sometimes think at the stage where I'm at, you, you almost need to just rely. You know, you hear these athletes talk about like I just rely on the hard work and the practice. Mm -hmm try to get into the flow, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and they, and they don't, they're not critical in the moment. They got to try to find a way into the flow and not think too much. And I feel like where I'm at now, I'm trying to learn to be that person where it's like, okay, I've put in the time I've done this. Mm -hmm. I can like s stop overthinking things, you know, like think you can think too much too. And, and sort right. of like create an obstacle that you're right. It's hard to like overcome. Yeah. So. The flow. Um, Josh and I were talking earlier about the flow or what some people would call being in the zone. <clears throat> Excuse me. The creative zone, the athletic zone, the scientific numbers crunching, whatever you have. Um, there is a, a state. There's a mental state creatively. Uh, I've been in a few times myself where time stands still and you're it, it's hard to describe that you feel like you, the fabric of creativity, you're woven in with it and everything you do, it just comes together. Um, and artists have tried to be able to turn that on and off. And I don't know anyone that succeeded, but not clouding your, your mind with needless, you know, needless things like self-criticism or expectations. Deadlines are horrible for that. Yeah, that's hard. That's been a, yeah. that's, that's always a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think becoming like, yeah, I think becoming okay and being patient with the process, like recognizing that it's not all just like self, like enforced will on the object. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes like you just wake up and you're not, like it doesn't come out right. And the yeah. next day you wake up and you paint something and you forget how you even did it. But man, it's like, oh, that was beautiful. How did I do that? I don't even, I wouldn't be able to recreate it. So yeah, I don't, I've heard I don't that know. over and over again. And this comes in where, um, creative types are also technicians of their craft. A lot of people think, Oh, you just wake up and you're an artist and the paint flows. No, you have to know the paper, the brush you're using, the medium you're using, the light, the humidity. I've known artists that have these studios with natural daylight come in. They feel that is the most authentic way to capture what they're trying to do to get to as close as as possible to the real. Um, in looking at your body of work, I'm curious, do you have a favorite piece and do you have any that fell short and why did they fall short? Start um, with the favorites. I have a couple favorites. Um, one of them is called prayer. And, uh, w when I first started learning to paint, um, I always thought of, and I, you know, I don't want to go down like the too magical view of things okay. and make myself look here for. like all whack but <laughs> that's what we're here for um i think when i first started i was relying so much on well i was learning so there was the technical aspect of things that mm -hmm. was like growing and i was like really pursuing that but there was like an intuition i was naive about things and i feel like i was intuiting a lot of things around me that i think in the 
I sometimes think was magic and and I think maybe in the past would have been seen as more magical but like the prayer is about um well my it's my wife actually she was the model mm -hmm. and um she's leaning over this nest like thing and and I, at the time I was really interested in this time period called symbolism it's a 19th century art movement so mm -hmm. I was just like trying not to be too illustrative about work so I was thinking more in terms of like uh, archetypes and mm -hmm. and like the essence of things and stuff like that. So I painted this picture and my wife is like praying. She looks like she's kind of praying over this nest. And uh, it's funny because I didn't realize till years later that we had, you know, we'd had, like she had wanted a child yeah. and there was like issues with that. I, I didn't for a period of time. Okay. And like, uh, and looking back on that painting, I yeah. just feel like that stuff comes out, like things come out yeah. that you, I wasn't, you know, I'd like to say that I was very intentional about it all. You know, yeah. I was intentional about like, this means this. And I put this person here and there, but the reality is that wasn't happening. I was being intentional about certain aspects, but the meaning and who I am and who my wife was and what I was interacting with, it yeah. just comes out. And that, that is like, I, I love that. I and that doesn't always that happen. <laughs> I want to look that up. And I'm going to impose another quote on you that, you know, when you talk about, in, you know, intuitiveness and, you know, um, going into something without um, too much burdening you. Uh, Picasso had a quote. And I'm not much of a Picasso fan. I, I, people are going to burn me for it. But I just, but this quote, kind of made sense to me um it was something along and he had a way he was at age 15 he was doing hyper realistic stuff you know 12 i mean look at his work as a child obviously he's a genius um in the later work and there was a quote that said something along the lines of it took me 60 years to see the world as a three-year-old sees the world um and then it just came together because stripping down and deconstructing all the things that you know we get junked up with and having that um the source that undiluted perceptive ability you know it just it made perfect sense to me so um, yeah. i think that painting that's that's perfect um and that was a personal painting you did yeah uh at that time i was i you know i never you know this leads into other things but i you know i was not i was very idealistic i was not painting for a um income mm -hmm. now I, everything had always worked out because i was like i think i i think now looking back you know i was like aggressive and i was like determined but i didn't have this idea that like i was going to make these paintings and sell them so there's a lot of them that i have kept that were actually very personal and i think they're some of them are good paintings but I don't know that other, I don't know that they, I've always felt like my work doesn't have this sort of, ah, oh, put this on the wall. Art for art's sake. Well, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree art for art's sake either. Mm -hmm. Like, I, because that's like saying, I think that's one of those things that people, like, that's like the art world says that, but there mm -hmm. is no such thing as art for art's sake because even, even an artist that approaches that, with that way like mm -hmm. they're doing it with they're instilling that meaning into it sure like the meaning of art for art's sake like if you think like a jackson pollock like mm -hmm. i mean the meaning of that what he was communicating was that that he didn't want to have any meaning or it was about movement or whatever sure. you know like yeah. there's all it's a the whole idea that is puzzling to me but mm -hmm. it's not that the it's i think the meaning i think the meaning of some of my works that i like the most were 
I would say, uh, subjective, a more subjective. There was, hopefully there was something more universal in them, but the universal that was in them that other people could relate to, I don't know that they wanted to look at every day. I so don't the, think the personal things you did, you didn't set out to impart any type of feeling throughout. They were just representations of, of your creative spirit and of your thought processes. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to learn. That was the first thing. Like mm -hmm. I really wanted to be, I wanted to create a masterpiece in terms of technique, but then at the same time I was trying to figure out a way to, um, and I think this was a counter to like the culture that I was in and like school, mm -hmm. but I was trying to figure out a way to, to capture something a little more timeless, mm -hmm. like the idea of motherhood or, 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 um, I don't know, like even being like, like seeking a creator or something like that. Like I, th I thought that there was things that were more timeless than the issues that academic art world was pushing everybody towards. Yeah. I felt like that was very limited to a particular time. And, and so I think those are the things I was pursuing. I don't think those things were always pleasant and joyful, you know, like, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I think, what do you think? What did you think of the, have you read the invisible dragon by Dave Hickey? no, no, yeah. that sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> I wish yeah. I had. Now that <laughs> uh, well, it, it's, uh, it, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but no, it's an inter it's an interesting look at uh, the fine art world as it pertains to business and the valuation of fine art and how it's it's elevated and um, he, he lets the air out of it and it didn't make any friends in the fine art world, but yeah. most of his calls were dead on um, about. For instance, um, if art is judged uh, by beauty alone, only on aesthetics, then it's mere decoration. It has to mean more, you know that type of that type of mentality. Um, it's kind of interesting. Like one, I don't. I think this relates, but it just might. If this popped into my head, but mm -hmm. one of the things I've tried not to do over the years is sign my work. Really? And, yeah, and it's it really. I think it points to. I mean, I've read several books on the art world about like kind of what you're talking that are similar. There's one called Seven Days in the Art World that's mm -hmm. real similar that kind of reveals the underworkings. But yeah, I think that by signing it, you're really pointing to something that's not the art itself. Like you're saying that there's a value in my and who I am. Like mm -hmm. because because I put my name on it it has value, let's say, uh -huh. where like, would a Pollock or a Picasso have any value if their names weren't signed on it? Some of them may, yeah. but, but there's this interesting thing I read and I don't remember the details, but there's this, um, this group going around that's trying to display paintings of famous artists along with like amateurs and they're not putting any names on them. So uh -huh. when people go into the gallery, they look at them and they interacted them without the brand attached. Because Interesting. I think it just blew like my mind. Big. I think it's really big. But you know what's funny is Dr. Knight didn't like me not signing my work. And yeah. most of the people that buy don't like that. But I do think mm -hmm. it speaks to what you're buying to some degree. And I don't know I don't know how I feel about that. It's I mean, the business component and the valuation component of it. It's like that old trick I remember a few years ago they had a elephant or a chimpanzee do some paintings and they put it in the gallery and they had the fine art people come in and they were like tripping over themselves of how great it was and it was a big you know they they punked them yeah and they outed them you know with their their interpretive ability being miles above everyone else's uh, very interesting not signing that would take a remarkable degree of first of all self-awareness and um guts you know especially with paying clients right 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's kind of interesting because you mentioned earlier too, like my uh, balance with the commercial world and like the fine art world and, mm -hmm. you know, like how I've interacted with both. And I, and I do think now, yeah, at the time it didn't feel like it took guts because I was like, well, this makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to me it was, I was putting something out there that was way more important than myself in my mind. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know, like maybe I, maybe I needed to, I still don't know that I've completely accepted the idea that, that brand is something. Cause I, I, I think I make bad paintings still. Like, I think there are paintings that are bad and there are ones that are good and there shouldn't be just because I did it and because I made one good painting in my life, let's say like, mm -hmm. doesn't mean all my paintings are going to be good. It doesn't mean that at all. And I, and I think signing it kind of Locks like you saying in. that locks you in yeah it's like yeah. oh yeah well this is not and then i'm not saying my name has that at all but it, it uh, does uh, it does maybe a yeah, little it does but um and it will for more so you know looking at it you know it's uh technically brilliant um and expansive i mean and the fact that your 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 thought process is evolving as we're sitting here is, is something too because some some artists just they get locked in and they're in the chair and they strap in that that's who I am that's me you know and their their entire identity is is finely crafted and you're you're going counter to that yeah I feel like I'm always trying to figure it out and I was just thinking about like the idea of signing how like when I had a kid five years ago his name's Linus if he ever hears this oh yeah boy that really like it really changes your perspective because even like the idea of a legacy, like yeah. I didn't, I didn't like signing, signing a painting right. means something different when you think about your leaving, like your kid will be around, you know, a hundred years from now mm. and maybe other family and they'll be like looking for your paintings. It's going to help if it's signed. That would be amazing. And I, and I didn't, you know, I never thought of that before. I was just like in living in like an ideal world where I'm just like, well, this is, if it's a great painting, it'll like last and somebody will figure it out. They will. So, but I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, you know what, Josh, we're running out of time for this segment. Uh, Josh Reisner, it's been a thrill talking to you and thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. This has been great. Georgia O'Keeffe once said, I found I could say things with color and shapes that I couldn't say any other way. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. <laughs>